I invite you to turn, first of all, this evening to Galatians chapter 3, and then to a longer reading in the Gospel of Matthew. We're considering tonight the words of the Apostles' Creed, that Jesus Christ suffered, that he was crucified, and we're considering that curse that Jesus bore. Galatians chapter 3 has some very significant words in that regard. I'd like to read Galatians 3, verses 10 through 14. Galatians 3, at verse 10, God's holy word. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith." Then if you would turn in the gospel according to Matthew chapter 27 to read of the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus, where he became a curse for us and suffered on the tree. Matthew 27 at verse 27 through verse 56. Matthew 27, 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him, and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. When they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And then they spat on him. They took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they took the robe off him, put his own clothes on him, and led him away to be crucified. Now as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they had come to a place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of a skull, they gave him sour wine mingled with gall to drink. But when he had tasted it, he would not drink. Then they crucified him. And divided his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Sitting down, they kept watch over him there, and they put up over his head the accusation written against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and another on the left. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, You who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests, also mocking with the scribes and elders, said, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. Even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him with the same thing. 
Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood there when they heard that said, this man is calling for Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink. The rest said, let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly, saying, Truly this was the Son of God. And many women who followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, were there, looking on from afar, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. God's holy word. Let's bow before our King. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this account of Christ's sufferings written in such a way that we might know both its reality and its meaning. We pray, Heavenly Father, you'd bless as we consider the sufferings of Christ tonight, what deep and profound things these are. And yet we pray that you will teach us that our hope may be in Christ and he would be glorified as we believe in him and praise him as our great Redeemer. Hear us, God, and bless us this night. Bless your word in every place, among all your people. May all this seed sown today not be stolen away by Satan, but may they be planted deep in the hearts of your people. We pray, Father, that you would glorify your name through your word. For Jesus' sake, amen. Well, congregation of Christ, we come to a... place of considering the sufferings of Christ. In fact, see that I failed to read the catechism. Let me just read that with you a moment here so you know where we're at and what we're considering here. Page 216 in the Heidelberg Catechism. Page 216 in the Forms and Prayers book. It's uh, again unpacking the words of the Apostles' Creed. So on page 216, question 37 says, what do you understand by the word suffered? And the answer is that during his whole life on earth, but especially at the end, Christ sustained in body and soul the wrath of God against the sin of the whole human race. This he did in order that by his suffering as the only atoning sacrifice, he might deliver us, body and soul, from eternal condemnation and gain for us God's grace, righteousness, and eternal life. And then it asks, well, why did he suffer under Pontius Pilate as judge? Answer, so that he, though innocent, might be condemned by an earthly judge and so free us from the severe judgment of God that was to fall on us. And finally, is it significant that he was crucified instead of dying some other way? Yes, 
By this death, I'm convinced that he shouldered the curse which lay on me since death by crucifixion was cursed by God. Looking at tonight at the curse, the curse that Christ bore, and it's important to ask ourselves the question sometimes, what is this ultimate curse? So we look at our own lives, sometimes we're perplexed by sufferings and we feel like we're bearing some kind of curse, but, but is the ultimate curse to, to be low on money? Is the ultimate curse to lose a job? Is the ultimate curse to suffer physically with disease or pains? Is the ultimate curse to to lose a friend or to lose a loved one? What's the ultimate curse? As we come to worship week by week, our, our mind, our thinking gets realigned as we, as we meet with God and sit beneath his word and our perspective, right, is, is changed. And we need that. We need that. And tonight, our perspective needs to be aligned to understand what the curse is and how we don't bear the curse, but we live under God's blessing. We... As believers, do not bear the curse. Our sufferings are real, but we're not suffering the wrath of God in them. And even unbelievers who don't have what we have, the communion of God, do not bear the ultimate curse, right? Because in this life, they still live beneath the rain and sunshine of God. And even those who've already gone to hell are not suffering there in body yet, but only in soul. So no one has yet suffered the ultimate curse except one, our Lord Jesus Christ. Because that ultimate curse of suffering, body and soul, beneath the wrath of God, came to Christ as he was upon the cross, and God poured out his wrath upon Christ in our place. He experienced the fullness of hell. The curse of that final day, that last day, broke in upon him And when we consider that tonight, then it brings perspective to our lives. To know that because Christ suffered it, that curse does not remain for us. And the ultimate curse are not the sorrows and hardships we have in this life. The ultimate curse would be without God's blessing. To be without his favor and to be alone beneath his wrath of destruction. And we don't have that. Instead, Christ has purchased for us the great blessing of Abraham. The Holy Spirit, God with us. So that in all of our trials and sufferings, we experience not the curse, but even the love and the mercies and the favor of God. Let's look tonight at how Christ in his suffering bore the ultimate curse. And I'd like to consider, first of all, the meaning of his suffering. What's it all mean? Secondly, the character of his suffering. What, what, what precise character does it have for Christ to suffer under Pontius Pilate? And then the assurance of his suffering. How we're assured by the cross of Jesus that we don't suffer the curse. Well, first of all, the, the meaning of Christ's suffering. What, what was its purpose? What is its meaning? We, we often are perplexed and we try to investigate the meaning of our suffering. Lord, why is this happening? Why is this happening? What does this mean? But we should be far more concerned, right, about Christ's suffering. Why is he suffering? What does this mean? Not that we may not wrestle with God and seek to know from God wisdom in our own sufferings, But if anyone's suffering should be the main thing that we want to investigate, it would be the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to know the answer. And you know, whenever people lose sight of sin, our sin, and the wrath that we deserve, then they begin to emphasize other things. 
right? I mean, there are completely wrong views of Christ's suffering. Those who say, well, he didn't suffer, he didn't exist, or those who say it was just a tragic misunderstanding, this poor fellow is in the wrong place at the wrong time. But then there are other answers people give that, that sound a little bit biblical. Answers like, well, he suffered on the cross to show how much God loves us. Well, true. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But if you just say, he suffered to show how much God loves us, that's not the whole truth, is it? It reveals God's love because Christ came to do precisely what we needed. He came to bear the curse for our sin. Others would emphasize that Christ's suffering was an example. Is that true? Well, Peter says, but if you suffer for doing good and endure, it's commendable. To this you are called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. So yes, Peter says, when you suffer persecution, you should follow in Christ's example. But Peter says he suffered for you. For you. Others have insisted that Christ suffered that God might experience our pain and know our lives. One of my seminary professors has a little good little book or Bible study on the Apostles' Creed that is helpful to me tonight. And he, he points out in modern times here that, that some look at Christ's sufferings and they speak of Christ's suffering in and with the suffering of the impoverished, the homeless, the marginalized, the oppressed. And so they speak, for example, of Christ's suffering with the pain and suffering of the Jewish people during the Holocaust or with the poor on the earth today. And they go that direction. Now, the problem here in all these things is that part of the truth is elevated to the truth. I think it was J.I. Packer who said that a half-truth presented as the whole truth becomes a complete untruth. And you see, when we don't want to think about our sin and the wrath of God on us, that we deserved eternal damnation of body and soul, then we tend to focus on these other things as if they were the whole truth. The cross shows how much God loves us. It shows us how we should suffer. It shows us how God knows our suffering. He lived upon the earth and his son in our flesh. But we have to recognize that that's not at the heart of Christ's suffering. The meaning of his suffering is that he bore the wrath of God. His suffering was utterly unique. It's not just, it's not just like our suffering. He is the son of God in human nature. And he suffered the consequence, not of his own sin, not what he deserved, but he suffered as the sinless one in our place. He wasn't merely stooping down to sympathize with us or know our pain or simply to set us an example or simply to say, you know, I endured a lot of pain that shows God loves you. He was, he was the sin bearer facing God's damnation in our place. And so Galatians 3 says, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. And then it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. And if we don't get that straight, that, that cursed is everyone who doesn't keep the whole law, if we don't emphasize that, that we deserve the curse, then we can't see the joy of this, that Christ bore the curse. And so it's always a dangerous thing when people begin to speak of the sufferings of Jesus and they don't want to talk about their own sin. And their need that their sin be paid for. 
But we must, because this is at the heart of what it means that Christ suffered. This is what we're confessing tonight in the Catechism, that Christ sustained in body and soul the wrath of God against the sin of the whole human race. He did that in order that by his suffering as the only atoning sacrifice, he might deliver us body and soul from eternal condemnation. That's at the heart of it. Now, the world scoffs at this, right? Scoffs at this. Many have insisted this whole thing is ridiculous, right? Imagine a God who, who, who is so little-minded that he can't forgive sin, but he has to punish someone in your place. People mock this as some horrible thing that a father would do this to his son. But all that is blasphemous, isn't it? The righteous God, the holy God, has appointed his son to suffer as a substitute. And so behind all these These gospel accounts of the cross of Jesus stands that great prophecy of Isaiah 53. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Without recognizing this substitution, the substitutionary atonement that that another came and stood in our place, you just can't. You can't properly conceive of the meaning of Christ's sufferings. One writer says, There is no other explanation for the darkness that fell from the land from the sixth to the ninth hour during his crucifixion, at the end of which he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? This darkness speaks of God's judgment, the withdrawal of his favor and blessing, the excommunication of the sinner from his presence. So we resist any attempt to talk of the sufferings of Christ without talking about our sin, God's wrath, and our need for that wrath to be satisfied. Romans 4.25, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And Galatians 3, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. So as we think about the sufferings of Jesus, they are utterly unique. And they are most definitely needed. We are the lawbreakers. We violated the covenant. We transgressed the commandments. There was no other way. We could not pay for this. We couldn't undo it. We couldn't fix it by living a good life. If Jesus Christ did not suffer on that cross, you and I would suffer in hell forever and ever and ever. The meaning of Christ's suffering is that he bore the wrath of God for us. But then secondly tonight, what is the character of Christ's suffering as he suffers under Pontius Pilate? What's the character of his suffering? Some have wondered, how does Pontius Pilate make his way into the Christian creed, right? How does, how does he arrive in the Christian creed that here among the worshipers we should bring up the name of Pontius Pilate, this, this coward, this opportunist, this wicked man, makes it into the, the language and the confession and the worship service of the church? Well, it makes it into our creed because it makes it into the Bible. And why is it there? Why is the name Pontius Pilate important? Well, there's a lot of reasons. Let me mention three of them. Number one, it assures us of the historical reality 
of Christ's suffering, and therefore it's once for all accomplishment. Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate. We live right now under the presidential tenure of Joe Biden. We live at a particular moment in history, at a particular place, a particular time. Well, Christ suffered at a particular moment in history, at a place, at a time. I picked up a new book on the Heidelberg Catechism, actually more of a devotional book, but by Randall Working. But I was reading it this week. It was interesting that he picks up on this about the historical nature of Christ's suffering. He writes, we, we, we know more or less when and where it took place. He was executed on a cross in the Roman province of Palestine outside the city gates of Jerusalem about AD 29. You can visit the place today, he writes. And let me read you this. Maybe this is helpful to you. It was a little helpful to me. He says, when, when we visited Palestine, my... Uh, my wife, Evelyn, and I took a taxi from where we were staying on the Mount of Olives to the old city where we planned to worship at Christ Church just inside the Jaffa Gate. After worship, we headed north toward the Armenian and the Christian quarters, down stone alleyways into hidden courtyards, up flights of stairs, looking through ancient grating to see passers-by in the alleys below. Streams of pilgrims headed into the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, the shrine begun in the 4th century, over the place that is almost certainly where the Lord's death, burial, and resurrection took place. Crusader columns in front are inscribed with the crosses of illiterate Russian peasants who walked as many as three years to make their pilgrimage to the Holy Land. Countless Christians still make the pilgrimage today. It takes a real act of will to visualize the first century setting with an old rugged cross on a faraway hill. Nothing of the original setting remains. All has been covered with the gilded incrustation of the ages, candles, ornate shrines, marble, paintings, icons, incense, and the ever-present throngs. To many Western Christians, the place is quite disappointing. The vast, murky labyrinth of a church is not what one would call beautiful, But it is fascinating with its tortured passageways so laden with history. And then listen to these last sentences. It is also strangely moving to see where God accomplished our atonement. To think that the events of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection happened in a real place. They didn't only take place in the geography of the imagination. That's one thing. Sufferer Pontius Pilate should remind us every time we confess it. That this isn't the stuff of legends and mythology. Pontius Pilate was a real man, a governor, and Christ suffered beneath him as judge. Christ accomplished salvation at a particular moment in the history of the universe. There were these six hours upon the cross that Christ in agony suffered. Three hours of darkness. It happened. Time passed. It came to an end at a particular place, now over which a church and shrine is built, and it looks nothing like it did, but there's a place on this earth where it took place. Secondly, suffering under Pilate reminds us of the official quality of Christ's suffering. He suffered, the catechism says, or it asks, why did he suffer under Pontius Pilate as judge? As judge. Christ's death was a judicial sentence. He didn't die of the flu or pneumonia. He didn't die in a horse accident. 
He didn't die of a mob attack. He suffered under Pontius Pilate as judge. Now, we might be tempted to say, well, he wasn't a righteous judge, so what does it matter? But even Jesus acknowledged that his authority came from heaven. Pilate said to Jesus, don't you realize that I have power either to free you or to crucify you? And Jesus said, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Christ suffered a judgment. But thirdly, suffering under Pontius Pilate reminds us that Christ suffered as a sinless one and therefore substitutionally in our place. Because Pilate confirmed Christ's innocence repeatedly, didn't he? He found no guilt in him, he said. And so reminded that Christ suffered not for his own sins. Here the the pawn of Rome, Pontius, representing Rome, if any if any peoples had majored in jurisprudence, it was the Romans, right? The Romans majored in law. We still have laws built upon Roman thinking, don't we? And here the, the Roman judge declares Jesus innocent. First Peter three eighteen says, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. The just for the unjust, the innocent for the guilty. And so we're freed from the sentence of the great judge. You know, if Christ didn't do this, then all of us would if we were sane, which I guess unbelievers are not. But if we were sane and realists, we would all have to contemplate the day that was coming for each of us, that we would stand before the judge of heaven and earth to be tried and condemned. There was no Christ. That's all we could look forward to. To be sentenced to everlasting torment in hell. But instead, God gave his son to come in our nature to suffer a judicial sentence at a particular moment and place in history to once and for all remove the curse from us. And so we see the wisdom of God in doing all of this and in doing it in such a way as to give us comfort. In the book of Acts, the apostles prayed, For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you appointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Acts 4, 27 and 28. It was by no accident that Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate. It was by no happenstance. Every detail of Christ's suffering was divinely ordained, and it's all filled with meaning. We may not always know what the meaning is, we have to labor to investigate, we may not be sure in the end of every detail, but no detail is without meaning and significance. God used Pontius Pilate to mark this day. We might have assurance. And that brings us to the final thing tonight, then, that the assurance that we have in Christ's suffering. The last question of the Catechism says, is it significant that he died by way of crucifixion instead of dying some other way? And the answer is yes, by his death I'm convinced that he shouldered the curse which lay on me because death by crucifixion was 
cursed by God. So you understand the question. Does it matter that he died on a cross instead of a disease? Or does it matter that he died on the cross instead of by way of a firing squad or a lethal injection? And the answer is yes. The Bible emphasizes he died by crucifixion. Philippians 2, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. First Peter says he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. What is the cross? What is the tree? Well, it's an emblem of suffering and shame, as we sing. It's a sign of being under the curse. It's, it's a representation of being forsaken of God. Galatians 3 says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it's written, Cursed is everyone who's hung on a tree. And those last words come from Deuteronomy 21, where God makes clear that in the Old Testament, when somebody was was executed normally by being stoned to death, they may be hung up before all the people as a sign that they were accursed of God, showing the penalty they bore. And as a deterrent to others, they're hung up. But then God commanded that their body had to be cut down and buried the same day so they didn't defile the land. But God said, cursed is everyone who's hung on a tree. Now, in God's special providence, Christ gets hung on a tree, doesn't he? Crucifixion was not a, a Jewish form of punishment. It was a Roman form of punishment. And the crime Christ was accused of blasphemy was a crime that required normally being stoned. But in God's providence, the Jews pressed the Romans to put Jesus to death. And so Christ is crucified. He's hung on a tree. All of this ruled by the hand of God so that we might be assured that he bore the curse for us. If anybody understood the significance of his own crucifixion, it was Jesus, right? Because Jesus hanging on a cross. He knows very well the words of Deuteronomy. He knows what this represents. He knows what this means. He knows what's happening, that he is, that he is hanging beneath the very wrath of God. We have to be careful in thinking about the suffering of Jesus, right? Because... It's not that God stopped loving his son. Sometimes we say never did the father love his son more than when he was hanging on the cross. Right? There's never a a breakdown in the relationships of the Trinity. It's not that the son, as the son, is forsaken of God, but it's the son of God in our human nature, bearing in our nature the curse substitutionally, vicariously, in our place. The father loved his son, but... His son in our nature is pushed outside. He's cast into the darkness. He's, he's pressed into the pit of hell. And we can't understand what that means. None of us tonight can begin to comprehend what this means. It's actually kind of shameful when people try to parse out all the sufferings of Jesus. If we could know, as if we could know what all this means, that he suffered the wrath of God. Reality is none of us have been to hell. We don't know what hell's like. And as one theologian has pointed out, if we were in hell, we would not be in hell as Jesus was in hell. That is, as a sinless one whose heart loved the favor of God more than anyone ever has and who cringed at being separated from God more than anyone ever has. No one has ever been, no one has ever suffered hell in the way that the sinless one suffered hell. 
But though we can't understand it, we are to be assured that Christ bore the curse for us so that we never have to endure the cross. And if we look at our lives and we think in the midst of our sufferings, you know, I feel like I'm bearing the wrath of God. The Bible says, no, no, don't believe that. Look at the cross. Look at the cross. If Christ has been cursed, then you can't be cursed. If he endured the curse, then there's no curse left for you. It can't be both things. It can't be that he suffered the curse and still there's some curse for you. Either the curse is still upon us and God will destroy us forever or the curse is removed. And the Father delights in us and he sings over us and he favors us with his love and mercies. Either Jesus removed the whole curse or he removed none of the curse. And the Bible tells us he removed it, all of it. And so we rest assured then as we look at the cross, cursed as he was hung on a tree, he was hung on a tree for us. And the whole curse has been lifted then. And we have acceptance with God then. Does it matter then, ultimately, does it, who refuses to talk to us or who refuses to smile at us or who doesn't accept us? We have this assurance that the most significant being in all of the world accepts us. That with regard to the living God of heaven and earth, we are accepted. We are embraced. We, we have been fit for his fellowship. Our record is clean. We have peace with him. Remember that. Christ endured those hours of darkness so that your life, your life could be encompassed with the light of God's loving presence. And Christ endured those hours of silence when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there's no answer. So that every week we can assemble here in our weakness and brokenness and with our sins and we can hear God speak to us. We struggle with acceptance sometimes. Children and young people becomes a big thing in life sometimes. Am I accepted? Do I have friends? Jesus says, because of what I've done, God accepts you. He loves you. We struggle sometimes with our past and what we've done. We feel so guilty. And Christ says, look at the cross. I've carried away your guilt and your shame. You're worried about the court of public opinion, what people think of me. And God says, in the high court of heaven, the supreme court of the universe, your case has been tried. Jesus found guilty in your place, made a curse so that you could walk free and be at peace with God. As we go forward this week, then we ought to be reminded we ought to ask ourselves when we get discouraged, what's the ultimate curse here? Is the ultimate curse that I had a, a bad day at work or I'm struggling in the body in some way? Is the ultimate curse to be without a spouse or without a child? Or Sufferings are real and our hearts are pained. But are those curses? Is God's wrath set against me? Am I pressed into darkness to bear this alone because God is angry with me? And the answer is absolutely not. That God set the Christ upon a cross so that we could be assured. God worked every detail together so that we might be assured that the entire curse has been taken from us. 
God in Jesus smiles upon us, that he delights in us, that he sings over us, that he's preparing a place for us, and we as his adopted children will be with him forever. The apostle says that Christ suffered the curse so that the blessing might come upon us. The blessing of God with us, the blessing of the Holy Spirit, that we might rejoice as the people of God. Let God's word, let Christ's cross put your life into perspective and rest your heart in him. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we are thankful and we are humbled before the cross of the Lord Jesus. How can we ever get our minds around this reality that the Son of God came in our nature, the sinless one to be the cursed one? And Father, we're humbled to think about his place as the place that each of us undoubtedly deserved. But Father, we forget what we have done to you. We forget how deep are our wrongs, how significant our sin. And when we do that, Lord, we forget about how wonderful the cross is. Father, forgive our sins through Jesus Christ. Assure us of your forgiveness and your acceptance. And let us rejoice that you've demonstrated your love by giving your Son to suffer what we deserved, and to take away the curse forever. Give to us then your favor and blessing, O God, and let the name of the Lord Jesus be praised forever. Amen. Let's sing number 342, stricken, smitten, and afflicted.